Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Thank you for being here. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that even if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. We just finished with Father Mitch talking about dealing with sin, dealing with failure, dealing with scandal. And Jesus knew that the Christian community is going to have to deal with failure, with sin, with sins against one another. In fact, just before this particular passage in the Gospel of Matthew, you have Jesus uh, speaking that very famous passage, about warning those not to cause one of his little ones to stumble. Now he shifts, you know, the thought a little bit to the problem of interpersonal relationships among Christians. Um, we are, of course, forgiven people. Yeah, right. We know that. We hold that in common. But our commonness, or our fellowship, as it sometimes uh, is put, is the expression or a common commitment to Christ. It's it's not our perfection that makes us a community, right? It's our common uh, the common fact that we're all forgiven sinners that bind us together in Christ. I mean, we don't have to be um, perfect to be good. Uh, being converted, uh, you know, baptism regenerates us. We're born again in baptism. But that's only a beginning, we're on the way with Jesus, and we're in the process of maturing as we walk in the Spirit. When Jesus says, be perfect, even as your Heavenly Father is perfect, he has in mind there, you're to become what he created you to be. Uh, the Greek word there has to do with maturity or coming to be what you were created to be. And part of that maturity is, of course, to be tested. And we're tested. We're tested by our own shortcomings. We're tested by the sins of others. We do get offended. People do step on our toes. Uh, The writer of Hebrews puts it this way about Jesus. He said, he learned his obedience by the things which he suffered, and then being made perfect. In other words, he became all in his human nature, what he was uh, incarnate for. He became the author of eternal salvation. So this particular, that is a reference to Jesus in his human nature, um, fulfilling what he came for in his incarnation. We all have a responsibility to learn obedience through suffering and become all we were, in our, in our case, we're not incarnated to be, we were created to be. And so uh, St. Matthew, St. Paul, the writer to the Hebrews, uh, basically say, let us go on to perfection. Let us go on to maturity. And part of this maturing process is learning how to deal 
with those who sin against you? How do you reconcile when a brother sins against you? Uh, What is the role of the community in all this? Uh, Sin fractures not only your personal relationship with people, it fractures the church. Now in this passage, uh, you remember we're dealing with first century Palestinian Judaism. And uh, when we're talking about a brother uh, sinning against you, the Jews would have understood that to mean um, somebody who shared their nationality, somebody who shared their uh, faith as a Jew. And for us, too, as Catholics, uh, when we think of a brother or sister, we're talking principally about those who are, first of all, members of the household of faith, the baptized. And this is an important point. When there's a fault between brothers, Jesus actually holds the one who has been sinned against responsible to initiate action for restitution and restoration. Remember, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So who's the one? Who's the one to seek justice here? Who's the one to seek rest, uh, reconciliation? Who's the one to, who wants to get this straightened out? It's the one who's been sinned against. So I'll say it again. When there's a fault between brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus holds the disciple who's been sinned against responsible to initiate action for restoration. You have to be willing to confront and challenge your offender. I know, I know a lot of people say, well, just silently, you know, forgive him. Well, if you can't properly confront or challenge him, yes, you have to have a heart ready to forgive. But Jesus doesn't want you sitting there silently stewing. He wants you to fix it to the degree that you can. He doesn't want you to retaliate. But he does want you to confront the offender with a heart ready to forgive. And this takes deliberate action. Um, You can't have a defensive attitude. You can't belittle your brother or sister there because, you know, they... Because they've done something stupid. You you know, you don't go to others and say, yeah, look what he did to me. Uh, You don't belittle your brother or sister in Christ that way. Because if you do, you only make things worse. And what the world needs to see, the world needs to see how those of us in Christ can can um, not only tolerate one another, but actually learn to love one another. And if you want to move towards love, you're going to pass through lots of patches of offense. The goal, by the way, in this passage, where you go and you admonish or exhort or confront or challenge the person who's offended you. And I mean sinned against you. I don't just mean, you know, you don't like his sweater or something. Or he does something silly. I'm talking about an actual moral offense here. The goal always is not to get it off your chest. The goal is to win and restore the erring brother back to full community, full fellowship, where there's no barrier between you and him any longer. St. Paul teaches this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, by the way. There you've got a man 
who apparently thinks that living by grace means he can do whatever he wishes. So he's actually sleeping with his father's wife. You know, probably his stepmother. I mean, this is not cool on a number of levels, right? Paul's approach is to confront the person, to call for repentance, and be ready to extend forgiveness, which you see him talking about in 2 Corinthians, by the way. Jesus has another, a similar three-step procedure here in Matthew chapter 18. First, you go to him alone to discuss the fault, the person who offended against you. And that, that gives you an opportunity to respect their, you know, their own ego needs, right? You don't want to belittle people in public. Um, you have to be concerned about their honor as well as yours. You don't want to embarrass them in front of a, a whole group. Now, if he responds affirmatively, he says, I'm sorry, you're right. I didn't realize what I was doing to offend you like this. Then you've gained a brother. You've deepened your relationship. You're one step closer to real love. And, of course, you preserve confidentiality, too. You know. Now, if he won't hear you, well, then the passage says, take with you one or two more persons and try again. Now, you don't, you're not supposed to stack the deck on this. So if the, the brother says, you know, I, I'm sorry, I disagree with you on this. I, I don't think. Uh, I realize that you're hurt, but I didn't commit any real injustice against you. Then what you need to do is not just get another guy to come on your side to make your case. You need to get what you might call the third, third party or a fourth party here, who will actually be able to mediate between the two of you. you. You need a mediator here. So take with you, the text says, take with you, if, if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more persons and try again. Now, the, when you bring uh, other brothers or sisters, you are able to, again, uh, add uh, witnesses or uh, mediators uh, and this, of course, is very, very uh, necessary because uh, you don't want your demands for correction to get excessive or misguided. And these other folks will keep you from doing that. And it also allows you to be open uh, in the process. Okay, what happens then if the offender will not hear several persons? You had step one, you go yourself. Step two, you take several with you. Step three, you take it to the church. Now this gets, for Catholics in particular, this gets very complicated. And I'm not going to try to go into canon law on this. I'm really just interested in you understanding the way this is presented in the first century uh, Catholic community before we had the rise of canon law and everything. But the point is, if this is a significant injustice and there's a refusal to repent, then in principle, looking at this passage, uh, excommunication may be what's necessary to restore that person. Now, you don't have, the, you, you don't have I don't have, any jurisdiction to excommunicate people. I want to make, sure make that clear. But we do have a responsibility to help all of the baptized get to heaven. And when you've been sinned against, you really owe it to him. It's strange to say, but you, the victim, owe it to the offender 
to let them know how their actions have actually damaged the relationship. This gets, you know, throughout church history, this gets interesting, especially uh, in the 16th century, where the um, you have the, the so-called radical reformation and the rise of the Anabaptists, and that they're struggling with this passage and how they're going to handle it. But one point that uh, I think we can say is that if the church does take relationships this seriously, that um, you're going to see a different—our parishes are going to be different. And the world is going to be able to see uh, a much more a higher and more elevated way uh, of us getting along with one another. <laughs> this is not mere tolerating one another. This is learning how to be the family of God. So, um, you see this, the last verses in this particular passage talk about uh, praying together, you know, two or more, Jesus will uh, grant this in your name. What this means is, Jesus is with us now, when we're together. His presence is with us. Catholics know his presence in the Eucharist, right? We know that. We know his presence in the Scripture. We're not quite as good with his presence in our smaller groups. But he's there. Just take a look. John 14, Acts 4, 1 Corinthians 5, Revelation 1. This is a great passage. Be ready for it. I'm Al Cresta. <laughs> 